The scripture reading for this morning is from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Immediately he, that is Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as you uh, see in your bulletin, Eric Walter was uh, to be with us this morning in God's providence. He um, is ill, uh, so we'll pray for him. We'll pray for uh, the, the, not to spread to the rest of the family. Um, and, uh, and even though I, I know he was excited to bring the sermon that he had for this morning, so uh, that's hard for a pastor when you're all ready to go and, and then you can't. So we'll pray for him as well, that he'll have an opportunity to share uh, that word with us at some point in the future. Uh, in the meantime, I'm, uh, I'm thankful, I'm happy for my, I'm not happy for my brother, I'm thankful to have an opportunity uh, to share with you from a passage that God's just had on my heart this week. You know, it's, uh, it's a text that, uh, the, that's familiar for, for many of us, I'm sure. Um, I was back in it this week just as part of my um, Bible reading plan. I do an annual Bible reading plan. I think maybe twice in my life I've actually finished the Bible in the 12 months of the Bible reading plan. And so here we are, it's November of 2022, and I, I just finished my 2021 Bible reading plan. So, yeah. So let that just be an encouragement to you. Like if you're trying to do a, a year-long Bible reading plan, do not feel the pressure to get the whole thing read according to the plan. Just read God's word and enjoy it. So starting, you know, the 2022 Bible reading plan in November, <laughs> I'm in Mark's gospel and I uh, was back in Mark chapter six uh, this week and, you know, reading again a familiar passage, but all of our Bible reading happens in the context of real life and we're meant to connect the two, of course. And uh, the connection for me, and, and perhaps as we, you know, have this time together this morning, the connection for you has to do with a failure to remember the lesson about the loaves. A failure to remember the lesson about the loaves, which is not just that Jesus is powerful over nature, that Jesus is sovereign over everything, that for the disciples in the storm that we just read, that Jesus is sovereign over, powerful over the storm, every storm of life, not just that, but also that Jesus is present with us in the storm, offering us his peace, actually offering us rest in the midst of the storm if we will receive it. So there's two things I want us to look at this morning. First, our efforts in the storm, our efforts in the storms of life. And then second, the lesson about the loaves. Our efforts in the storm, the lesson about the loaves, but first let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray that you be with us this morning. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is living and active. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged store, sword. It cuts the division of joints and, and marrow. It exposes the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, Lord, you allow your word to go places where we would rather not go. And yet, with your word, you bring that healing balm of the gospel. You bring your spirit to comfort and to assure us, even as you bring conviction and call us to repentance and faith. And so we pray that this, this, this very thing that we would not do and could not do, having our hearts changed by your truth, Lord, we pray that you would do that work this morning in each of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our effort in the storm. The disciples failed to recognize Jesus in the storm. Let's look back through the text. Now, we're going to talk about context in a minute when we get to the second point about the lesson of the loaves. But you see there, verse 40, 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. So they're at Bethsaida. They are, um, they are uh, on a, a hillside. They're now down by the side of the sea is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is some 696 feet below sea level. Um, the, the hills around it are, you know, many feet higher than that. And it was common for these just strong downdrafts, really powerful wind to come down sometimes very suddenly and just stir everything up in the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus sends them out on the water. Presumably everything was fine when they set out. But it wasn't long, and they found themselves making very difficult headway. The, the text tells us that they went out at evening, and they were rowing, and it was the fourth watch of the night when Jesus saw them. Now, the, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they were out there for a long time, and they were not getting very far. It's interesting that the text doesn't tell us that they were afraid of the storm. It's not like in Mark chapter 4. This wasn't their first experience on a boat in the midst of a storm. In Mark chapter 4, they were out on the water with Jesus. Jesus was asleep in the, in the, in the boat, you remember, and uh, a powerful storm blew up, and the, 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 um, the boat was taking on water. The waves were crashing over, and the text tells us that they were afraid, and then Jesus calmed the storm, and then they were very afraid. Like, they got even more scared after Jesus calmed the storm. But it doesn't say that here. This isn't a, a Mark IV storm, in that sense, that the ship's going down. This is a, a storm in which they're just not making any headway. The, the storms are blowing. The winds are blowing hard. They're very, you can imagine them being very frustrated, uh, maybe a little bit anxious, maybe wondering, where's Jesus, right? That's what they're facing when they're out in the boat in Mark chapter 6. Now, Jesus comes out to them, and they, they miss all the clues. They don't recognize who it is that is among them. They, they miss some clues that are fairly subtle. You know, we could be a little bit sympathetic when we are reading the text and realize there are some things that are subtle but real that they missed concerning Jesus' identity. Uh, you know, first it says that he passed by them. It actually says that he meant to pass by them. That's in verse uh, 40, 48, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. And you read that and you think, come on, Jesus, <laughs> why would you intentionally pass by them when they're struggling? Actually, most commentators recognize that what he was doing was giving them a clue concerning his identity. 
in the same way that God passed by Moses in Exodus 34. And God passed by Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Jesus was passing by them. It was, it was a little bit of an object lesson. Now, when you're in the middle of a boat and the winds are blowing and you're struggling, you're not in the mood for object lessons. But, but Jesus was saying, I want to show you something about who I am. In the midst of this storm that you're in, I'm going to pass by, and that's meant to you know, have a few things drop in your mind about, about who I am in relation to who God is. In fact, Jesus may have actually said, I am, in verse 50. Verse 50, for they all saw him and were afraid, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. And then the, the next words could be translated, take heart, I am. Now that would have, you know, been a signal to them, like, who, who are we dealing with here? But then there's that obvious sign. He's walking on water. Like, he, he came out to them walking on the water. And then he got in the boat and everything got calm around them. And they missed it. They had a memory of Jesus' miracles. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him cast out demons. Again, they had been on a boat with him in Mark chapter 4. They had seen him calm the storm. And yet they failed to recognize him. Why? Well, the, the text tells us in verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves for their hearts were hardened. Now, before we turn to the lesson about the loaves, let's just think about our storms for a minute. Some of us are dealing right now with Mark chapter 4 storms. The ship is sinking. You've received a diagnosis that's devastating. You, you have a, a marriage that's crumbling, and it seems as though there is no way for this to be recovered. You have children that have wandered far away from the Lord. They've been away from the Lord and away from you, perhaps, for decades. And you're just not sure if there's any way that there can be a restoration to the relationship, let alone the knowledge of their salvation. Or we could be in the midst of Mark chapter 6 types of storms. They could be just the ordinary things of life. Life is hard. Work can often be hard. It is toil. Work is good. It's given by God to Adam and Eve in the garden. After Noah comes off the boat, off the ark, the, the creation mandate is given again. Fill the earth and subdue it. Work is a good thing, but now because of sin, work is toil. For some of us, a day at work can be like a day at the beach. And for others of us, a day at work is like a day on the Sea of Galilee when the winds are blowing. It's a Mark 6 type of storm at work. And then there's all manner of Mark 6 types of storms in our lives, in our relationships. We go through difficult times, difficult seasons. We do face illnesses at times in our lives. This morning is something of a Mark 6 storm for our brother Eric. We go through difficult seasons. We face storms. Do we recognize Jesus in the midst of the storm? We sang the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Do we turn our eyes upon Jesus in the midst of the storm? And now we're getting to the question of, have we learned the lesson about the loaves? Have we learned the lesson about 
the loaves. So let's, look, let's turn to that. Secondly, what did the disciples miss? What is it that they missed? At one level, you could say, and in fact, if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, on page 842 in the Pew Bible in front of you, you can get the context of the passage that was read. And I want to encourage you to, to grab that, open it up to page 842, and we'll kind of look at the context. We'll look back at the feeding of the 5,000. So jumping back at verse 30, verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. All right, so there's, there's context there that we need to think about. If you turn back to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 tells us, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing uh, for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place... And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then there's this kind of a recollection of something that had happened in the past in verses 14 and following. Herod heard about it and then they, we give us, you know, we get some context about Herod, how he had, had John the Baptist beheaded. But then fast forward to verse 30, the beginning of the account of the feeding of the 5,000, and that's when we, you know, we resume kind of the flow of history, if you will. The timeline picks back up, and we have the apostles returning to Jesus, telling them all that they had done, telling him all they had done and taught. So they've, they've returned from this very um, fruitful missionary work. They had been out healing in Jesus' name, casting out demons in Jesus' name, teaching about Jesus. They came back to Jesus. They reported back to him everything that they had done. And then look what Jesus says in verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus maybe saw them better than they saw themselves. You know how you feel after like things are just humming at work. Like things are just going so well. You're getting so much done. There's a big presentation coming. You, you're, you know, you're ready to nail it or the, the big presentation came and you nailed it and you're, you're ready to go on with whatever the, you know, the work was gonna be flowing out of that. You get the big sale, whatever it may be. And you're like, you're so excited. You're so pumped about your work. And you don't realize how tired you are or you are in danger of becoming. Maybe that's what the disciples were feeling. Or maybe they were like, Jesus, we're exhausted. How do you do it? <laughs> and, and either way, Jesus saw them. He saw that they needed rest. And so he said, let's, let's go. Let's come away with me. Let's go to a desolate, desolate place and let's rest a while. And, and so they went, but then, of course, the crowds saw them. They saw Jesus. The crowds followed them. Jesus continued to teach. There were the 5,000, which would have been 5,000 men, plus who knows how many women and children on top of that. Jesus is teaching them. It comes to the point where, you know, like it, it's time to eat. The disciples say to Jesus, we don't have any food to give them. And Jesus says, what? You feed them. You feed them. And, and they were like, what, what are we supposed to do? You know, we spoke, you know this is in, in verse 36. 
you know, Jesus, you send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, 200 days worth of wages in order to feed them? And then Jesus says, give me what you have. What do you have? Oh, we've got these five loaves and these two fish. Okay, I can work with that. So what did they miss? What was the lesson about the loaves that they missed? It wasn't just Jesus is powerful over nature. He can do anything he wants. It was that. But what was it for the disciples that they had missed as the disciples were in the boat being sent out by Jesus, presumably to do more of Jesus' work? What was it that they missed? I think it was in part that they missed that Jesus saw them and knew they needed rest. I think it was also the fact that Jesus saw them and supplied what they lacked. I see you guys, you need rest. Come away with me. Ministry continued. Jesus is teaching. The people need to be fed. And Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. And they realize we don't have it. And Jesus says, I can use what you have. Jesus saw them in the midst of their weakness. He saw their need for rest. He saw their lack and multiplied what they had in order to accomplish his purpose in that moment. Now, they, had, they needed to take that lesson with them into the boat. The storm is blowing. They're making difficult headway. Yes, it would have helped to remember that Jesus is someone who is able to do amazing and powerful things over nature. That's true. We all need to remember that. But for them, the lesson in that moment was, in the midst of the storm that we are in, Jesus sees me. And he offers me rest. And he's able to supply what I lack in order to accomplish his purpose through me. Now, that's where I failed to make the connection between the teaching and real life this past week. So, more true confessions. Um, Sabbath is important. Like, rest is important. Part of what God is offering, Jesus is offering here to his disciples prefigures the rest that he offers to his people uh, on, on his Sabbath. For Christians, the Sabbath is the first day of the week, not the last day of the week, the Lord's day. This is the day that God invites us to rest, to worship, to enjoy the kind of fellowship we're going to enjoy over a meal in a little bit here after the service is over. Now, for a pastor, Sunday morning isn't exactly rest, and so I do my rest between, say, 1 p.m., Sunday and 1 p.m. Monday, theoretically. Listen, that's never because of you. It's always because of me. It's always because of my inability to stop working. So that is supposed to be a time in which I'm not doing work of life. Like the the work of life day is supposed to be Saturday. I'm out, you know, that's when you're raking the leaves, you're paying the bills, you're presumably working upon the on the house. I mean, all those things are supposed to be happening, the work of life type stuff. So that Sunday, you know, for me, 1 p.m. Sunday to 1 p.m. Monday is a time of rest. So Monday morning, this past Monday morning, I'm out in the garden digging holes, work of life. I got my phone in my pocket. I'm checking email. 
And I see an email from Abigail. Abigail Keegan was on, on staff here. She had a question about something, and I replied with some thoughts. And then I put the phone back in my pocket, and I started digging some more. And then 15 minutes later, I checked my phone, and Abigail has replied, and she said, what are you doing checking work email when you're supposed to be resting? <laughs> I was like, so busted. <laughs> right? I came in and shared this with Wendy, and she was like, like, can you, can you really, like, just not check email on your phone? I was like, I think I need to take the app off my phone, which I did. But that's how bad things are. And it's not because of anything other than my refusal to accept God's rest. Now, there are no major storms blowing at Grace Church. God is good. Grace Church is in a good place. It's not like, you know, the white knuckle type of a time in the life of Grace Church. It's more of the fact that I just, I love to work too much, and the Lord is saying, Mark, you need to rest, and I, I'd rather keep rowing. Just imagine with me for a second how silly it would have been for Jesus to get in the boat with the disciples. We're back to Mark chapter 6. The winds die down. The sea is calm, and the disciples keep rowing frantically. And she's like, guys, I'm here. I'm offering you rest. Take it. You need it. Jesus had literally calmed the storm for the disciples. The winds had died down, but they would face more storms. Sometimes the storms that we are in, whether they're Mark 4 types of storms or Mark 6 types of storms, they don't always calm down right away like it did for the disciples in Mark chapter 6. There would be more storms for them. Jesus said to them, this is John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's Jesus pointing to his power over all things, his sovereignty over all things. He is the Lord of the storm, no matter what the storm may be. Whether it's a Mark 4 or a Mark 6 type of storm, Jesus is sovereign over it. Take heart, he says to his disciples and to us, I have overcome the world. There will be more storms. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 to his disciples, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He says to us, in the midst of our storms, which will carry on because we live in a fallen world, we will face Mark 6 storms. All of us, until, unless Jesus comes back first, will face that great Mark 4 storm that is death. And Jesus says to us, take heart. In this world, you will have many troubles, but I have overcome the world. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of your life. Jesus offers us his rest in the midst of the storm. He offers us an opportunity to remember the lesson about the loaves. And the lesson about the loaves is this. Jesus is present and able to provide for his people at their point of greatest need. Jesus is present and able. Able? Willing. Eager. 
desiring to provide for his people at their point of greatest need. The disciples didn't see it. Their hearts were hard. So let's, let's end by asking this. How do we soften our hearts so we don't miss the lesson about the loaves? Well, first of all, we know it's entirely of grace whenever a heart that is hard gets softened. We, we know that. And because we know that, we begin by praying. <laughs> God, do something that I can't do, that I'm not inclined to do. If there's even the smallest inclination or desire, a little bit of a spark right now in your life, God, maybe it is that my heart is hard and it needs to be softened. Don't delay on that. Pray, God, do what I for whatever reason now, actually kind of feel like doing, which is having a, a softened heart, so I'll trust you more. It begins, continues, and ends with prayer. So how do we begin to soften our heart? We begin by asking God to soften our heart because we would not do it ourselves, nor could we. So pray. Secondly, call to mind the character of God. I love Lamentations chapter 3, 19 and following. It's a familiar passage. Let me, let me read it for us real quick. The author of Lamentations writes this in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now we know what that feels like. The storm is blowing and all you are doing is looking down at the trial. That's all you can see. Whether it's the, the trial is out there or whether the turmoil is in here. You're just looking down. You're looking in. You're lost. You're consumed. And it feels as though you're alone in the boat, alone in life. No one understands. God doesn't see. But listen to what the author of Lamentations does. He says in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then he jumps to the character of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's nothing in this passage, and to be honest, there's not much in Lamentations, that would lead us to think that what's happening here is reflecting necessarily on what God has done for that person in the past. That person is reflecting on God's character. It's not about, first and foremost, what God has done to bring deliverance in my life in the past. It's simply about who God is. He is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, therefore, his steadfast love will not cease. I can bank on that. In the midst of the storm, I'm going to call to mind the character of God. I'm going to pray. I am going to trust that he will be faithful to his promises. Uh, yesterday in the men's breakfast, we watched a little snippet of a video by a, a guy named Jay Kim who was talking about just how digital technology can hinder our ability to really grow in our walk with the Lord. Um, and uh, he, he quoted Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard has this quote about grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning Okay, right? Grace is a gift. It's entirely a gift that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can't do anything to earn God's grace, but grace is not opposed to effort. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter, two, verse, chapter 1, verse 10, make every effort 
to prove your election and calling. We're, we're called to work. Can I tell you that the work of grace is trusting God's promises? At the end of the day, what it boils down to is trusting that God will be God. Trusting that he will do what he has said he will do. Trusting that when Jesus said it is finished, it is in fact finished. All of our Bible reading, all of our being in worship together, all of our praying boils down in the end to trusting and acting out of that. And then fourth, and finally, receive his rest. Guys, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, we can say that about every day, because every day is the day he's made. But this is a day in particular. This day is a day in which we can receive this gift that is his rest. A consolation when we often feel nothing but desperation. A sea of tranquility in the midst of an ocean of anxiety every other day of the week. Enter into the rest that God provides. We sometimes feel, why is Jesus up there when we need him down here? You you can picture the disciples feeling that way. Jesus was up on the mountain praying. They're out at the sea. The the winds are blowing. They, They could have been thinking, why is he up there when we need him down here? And and we may feel that way at times. Listen, the good news is Jesus is up there. He ascended bodily. He is at the right hand of the Father, even now interceding for you. He sees you. He knows you. He prays for you. But the ascended Christ poured out his spirit into the heart of every believer so that we can also trust his promise, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. For our part, we fix our eyes on him, confident, resting in the knowledge that he never takes his eyes off of us. Let's pray. Father, we we do pray that you would help us to be people who demonstrate our trust in you by resting, by receiving this gift that you offer us, this beautiful rhythm of rest, one in seven, the first day resting, that every other day as we work, We're working under your glory from that place of rest. Lord, help us to remember that all of our doing for you flows out of our being with you. Lord, I I recognize even as I pray that it's a very autobiographical prayer, but I also know that I'm not alone in this. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that whether we're facing Mark 6 types of storms or Mark 4 types of storms, we will remember that you are powerful over the storm and present with us in the midst of it. Help us, O God, to remember that lesson about the loaves. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.